Welcome back to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. We've talked in previous programs about zero waste, which has the goal of reusing and recycling the trash that we generate. You may be familiar with Texas Disposal Systems, or TDS, which picks up and disposes of trash in our area. TDS picks up a lot of trash, but not all of it ends up in the landfill. The trash is sorted, some is recycled, some is pulled out for reuse, and some is turned into compost. My guest today is Zach Halfin, who is production manager at Texas Organic Products, which is a branch of Texas Disposal Systems. His job is overseeing the magic of turning things people throw away into compost that you can buy and use in your garden. Welcome to Mothering Earth, and tell us about that process of sorting trash, including yard waste, such as tree trimmings, grass, and leaves, and then reclaiming some of it for useful purposes. Yes, so we also have a um, single-stream plastics, metals, glass recycling program. Um, We have organics uh, recycling, which which is, we have a drop-off area where landscaping companies can bring you know, trailers, fulls, or the citizen, common citizen can just fill up their pickup truck and bring it out here. Um, and we also have curbside pickups um, in a few cities locally. Right. The um, the bulk of our materials comes from brushy ma- yard waste is what we call it, from all sorts of different directions, sources. We did significant amount in the last year was ground up um, brush from the flood. So right. that a lot of that ended up in our compost and mulches. Right, right. So um, now the the compost that's made here is sold through uh, company or I'm sorry stores called Gardenville, which are several of them in this in our central Texas area, and um, I've bought a lot of compost at Gardenville, so I can vouch for uh, the quality of the product. Uh, but I'm interested in finding out what goes into it. Um, so I'd like to, but actually, what I'd like to do is start by just having you kind of introduce yourself and. Um, just tell us what you do here. Yeah, so uh, as you said, I'm a production manager. So that means I manage heavy equipment and and people to uh, create a, a sellable product from recycled organic materials. So that's like I said before, yard waste is a big portion of it. We also handle a, a lot of food waste from local grocers, from cafeterias, mm-hmm. hotels, event centers, um, and then we also have a uh, topsoil screening process where we can take topsoils from excavation projects around the city and reblend them into uh, garden soils, mix okay. it, mixing in compost and, and other uh, amendments. Right. Um, can, let's, let's go back just a bit and, and start with uh, why would people want to use compost in their garden? What are the, what's the value of So compost? I think that before you even put it out in their yard, the value of it not going into a landfill would be the first value that you're, you're creating by purchasing compost. You're creating a market for us to divert uh, organic matter from, from landfills. And uh, putting organic matter in landfill has a lot of different implications. Mainly it's a waste of space in an area that's hard to come by. So landfills aren't the easiest things in the world to get put in new somewhere. So we need to extend the lives of the ones that exist as long as we can. But then also the type of decomposition of the organic matter in 
the landfill creates a lot of methane and other uh, greenhouse gases that are as strong or stronger than CO2. So um, the best thing we can do is just avoid that. So whenever you buy compost, you're, you're, you're participating in that process. Um, but then the compost itself also is mostly organic matter. Um, and that organic matter is what is able to hold on to water and nutrients in your soil. So you'll have um, less frequent irrigation cycles are going to be needed and then you're less fertilizer. Um, with a good compost, you should have to apply fungicides less on your, your lawn because you're introducing a lot of beneficial fungus um, whenever you apply your compost. Um, you know, it's a f fertilizer alternative too so that you're not having to use chemical as much or no chemical fertilizers. So yeah, it's a, it's good stuff. And in our flood, in our flood prone, re prone region, the more, um, improved high, high organic matter content soils we can have out there, the more of a buffer we have from the water running off the landscape. Okay. Um, so some years ago I studied up on compost and produced a video about uh, making compost, but this was for individual homeowners. So I'm thinking, you know, I mean, it, it's, uh, there's a little bit of science to it, I guess, in terms of, you know, the mix of materials and the temperatures and turning and all this stuff. But I guess what I'm interested in is finding out what is the difference? Because here you're producing compost on an industrial scale rather than, you know, what I would do at home in my in my yard. So can you talk about that process? How does it work? If you can give us a picture of, you know, the materials coming in mm -hmm. and then, then what happens? So like um, you, industrial scale is a good description of it. We're looking at uh, on average 200,000 pounds of material a day. So it's probably more than any one person makes in compost in their lifetime as far as a backyard composting system goes. Um, so you're, you're looking at giant piles of brush as they come in, some of it chipped, some of it not chipped. That, that material gets stockpiled, and we call that our, our browns or our carbon material. So it's the, the woody material. It could also be in other systems. It could be paper or it could be dried straw. There's a lot of other sources of, uh, of carbon. But here in our area, we live in a forest, so we get a lot of leaves. We get a lot of brush as our carbon source. Um, that material comes in and we and then we grind it through a big tub grinder that's loaded by a 40 ton excavator with a grapple on it and it goes into this big grinder and it grinds it down into f what they call five inch minus pieces so it has it grinds until it falls through a screen at five inches size it's kind of a real coarse material it's like what you'd see in the back of a, a tree cruise tree truck it's it's a rough mulch um, that material is either aged um, and then reground or immediately reground into a two inch minus to make uh, our mulch products. During the grinding process, we also will segregate out cedar so that we can grind, we can regrind cedar on its own to make a cedar mulch. Um, so that's where some of that material goes. Another portion of that rough mulch goes directly into our composting operation. So we mix that with uh, food waste at a two to one to three to one ratio. And that goes into a windrowing compost system. So that means by windrow, I mean a long pile that's 10 foot wide, four foot tall, but can be at this site there, it's about 400 foot for the, the a full windrow. Um, that material is laid out and it, it's able to achieve internal temperatures of above 130 degrees up to 170 degrees. And we use a machine that's called a scarab 
and it's just a big windrow turner. So kind of like you would use your pitchfork in your backyard to turn your compost pile. It's a big diesel machine that has a, a drum that where it's able to straddle the windrow and go down the length of the windrow and turn the material. Um, and we do that based on temperature and moisture content. So we keep it in the range, that range I described between 130 and 170 degrees Fahrenheit. And the state mandates that we do five turns in 15 days with an with an internal temperature of at least 130 degrees and we do that plus a few extra turns mainly to get it dry enough so that we can go into our final process in the compost which is to screen out the fines um which when you when people describe compost they're just they'll often describe it by it's the screen size that it was screened through and we use a, a half inch screen so everything that is under a half inch goes into our our finished compost product um or is mixed in with topsoils to make a garden soil product so that's kind of you know start to finish yeah so these windrows you said they're 400 feet yeah so we we keep about three of them active at a time we build about a windrow a week um so it's a it's a lot of material And how do you keep it at that temperature? How, what's that process? So it's a natural process. There's right. um, there's a classification of decomposers that are called thermophilic, which in Latin just means they love heat. So their their own metabolism is able to put off enough heat in the pile. The windrow has enough mass that it's able to insulate and hold heat to the point that the, all that biological action actually creates um, temperatures that are high enough to kill the seeds of other plants like weed seeds that are in there and that'll also kill pathogens so um salmonella e coli fecal coliform they're all they're all done at those those temperatures and then we turn it just to make sure i'm speaking today with zach halfin who is production manager for texas organic products and we're talking about composting and you were just talking or telling me about the windrows and about the biological activity within the compost piles and these are microbes is that right or yeah so it's a it's a combination of bacteria and and various fungi um actinomyces um the later stages there's actually multicellular organisms that are in there you'll have little nematodes and you'll have um you know, mites and, and all sorts of small stuff. And the longer it sits, kind of the, the the complexity of the organism increases. So you'll get worms and you'll get other things the longer it's able to sit. But we keep it in a in a what what would be considered a highly bacterial situation. So um, it gets turned so much that like the kind of the next stage of slow decomposition would be fungi. But the turning process tears all those fibers, the 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 structure of the of the decomposers apart and kind of resets it. So we stay on the bacterial end of the decomposition. Right. And these microbes, how are they, uh, I mean, are you sort of inoculating old new piles with the old piles? Yeah. So as soon as we build a pile, we do what's called capping. So we we go down the length of the windrow and we add, um, you know, six inches of unscreened finished compost that's already been through the thermophilic process. And it's uh it's turned into the pile, and that acts as an, an inoculant. Um, it's not necessary. Um, it just it skips a couple days of it needing to have that biology build up inside of it. You automatically dose it with trillions of organisms, and then spread it pretty evenly through it. And uh, we you know, but from the time we build the window, the time it achieves those seed killing temps is only you know thirty six to forty eight hours. 
So it gets hot, gets hot fast. And then we spend a lot of those turns just trying to keep it from overheating. So once it, we get an average temperature of 160, 170 degrees, we make sure to turn and add water if necessary. So we, we're also watching for moisture content. We're trying to keep, keep it between 40 and 60% moisture. So who, who does that? Who takes care of that? Kind so of we thing? do daily temperature monitoring um, where we've got a five-foot heavy-duty um, thermometer probe that we stick that can reach the middle of the, the compost, the windrows. Um, we do that daily every morning. And uh, the, the moisture is, is more of an art than it is a science. So you have to, you know, grab it, feel it, observe how much actual liquid is on the surface of the little particles that are in the compost. Give it a squeeze, all that good stuff. We're talking today with Zach Halfin at Texas Organic Products about making compost on an industrial scale. Right now, it's time for a break. We're back now with Zach Halfin, production manager at Texas Organic Products, and we're talking about making compost, and specifically compost for Gardenville. Um, and there are several different varieties of compost that you make. Can you talk about uh, the different kinds of compost and, I guess, what goes into them, which I believe is what makes them different, and also what they're used for? At this site in Creedmoor, we only compost yard waste and food waste. So it's the, the, with the ingredients that go into it, we call feedstocks. So the feedstocks for the food waste compost are a lot of uh, fruit peels. We get a lot of materials from AISD. So imagine how many orange peels, how many half oranges are fed to the kids of Austin every day. That material comes here. Um, and then produce departments from grocery stores, a lot of their, their cullings. And, you know, there's um recent fact that, or recent statistic that came out that 40% of, of food is wasted. And a lot of that happens on the farm. A lot of that happens in the sorting process, but then even more of that happens in the, in the grocery stores. So we, uh, we, we get a bulk of that material, but that makes for a very well balanced uh, compost that we, we recommend for, for using in, in vegetable gardens or using to plant your, your flower beds. Right. Um, it's, it's a, it's a high quality compost because it's made from a, a, a wide variety of, of foods that come in. Um, those but, are, those are marketed as eco thrive and rejuvenator okay. at Gardenville. Um, but the, now these would also have some of the, um, brushy materials. Yeah. So the carbon material well. is the, is the, is the yard waste. And so for all of the compost I'll describe, the carbon okay. portion is, is brush yard waste ground down. Right. Um, the, and for this site with the food waste, the food is the, what they call the nitrogen or green component of the, of the compost of the initial compost recipe. So, uh, we have a site in, San Antonio, and in, in, it's actually in Converse, San Antonio area. And then we have one in Victoria where we do biosolids composting, which is uh, the solid portion of sewage sludge mm -hmm. that's, that's composted with the same high temperature, multiple turn um, type of process that we use on the food waste. Right. Uh, it's just a different, they're at different facilities. Um, one of those facilities also does food waste from a food processing site. Um, the uh, the biosolids compost is the recommendation for the use of that is for turf grass. Uh, 
Okay. Um, a lot, a lot of that product goes to the state Department of Transportation. They use it for highway side plantings. Uh-huh. Um, it's pretty uh, inexpensive compost and is not necessarily recommended for your vegetable gardens because right. the sewage sludge is not only is it human waste, um, but it's also anything that goes down the toilet. So right. you can imagine the variety of things that go down the toilets of, of different cities. Right. Um, so yeah, we recommend that for uh, lawn use. In fact, we marketed it as a product called Elite Lawn. Um, and then our third major type of compost we make is made from cattle manure from a, a feedlot outside of San Antonio. And that's also made out of a site in San Antonio and that's sold as Invigorator. And um, a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of literature out there, not necessarily literature, but gardening books that are out there that recommend um, cow manure compost over any other compost for the for the vegetable garden. So I use both the food waste compost and the cattle compost. I haven't noticed a difference between the two. Right. Now you've talked a little about where these raw materials for the compost come from. Um, can you give us a little more detail on that? How, how does that work? So when the you, you were talking about school systems, for example, that are sending their so kitchen s- waste or... We send out a, a sales crew that goes out and trains the cafeteria workers, trains um, the administration of the schools, uh, and then ultimately the kids. You know, they give presentations to the kids, mm-hmm. and so it's it's uh, a line of trash cans. The first ones for their for their food waste, and then the second ones for their milk cartons, third ones for their plasticware or okay. whatever other packaging mm-hmm. that's not compostable. Um, and they just they, the kids are the ones that organize it, and then the 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 scraps or the wastes that come from the actual kitchen that's the the AISD or whatever school district's kitchen staff that helps us out with that. Okay. And then from grocery stores you get uh discarded produce? Yeah, so the bruised fruit, the you know, the stuff that might have come in with a little bit of mold in it or it's past its prime for sale, um that a lot of that goes into separate bins at the different grocery stores or or uh, restaurants. Um, and that once again, it's uh, it's our our sales staff training their staff on a depending on the size of the the, the institution. Right. Um, it can be right. pretty frequently, or it can maybe once or twice a year. Um, some some places don't need training because they have somebody on staff who's yeah. really you know or has some passion for the composting process. What about businesses? Are there any businesses that send uh, kitchen waste or things from cafeterias? And yeah, there's plenty of them. Um, and a, a lot of what we get is from food packaging companies. So there's some frozen food distributors, canned food distributors that have production facilities nearby. And so we'll get a lot of their waste. And uh, that stuff comes in really nice. It's all there's, it has no associated packaging with it. It's you know, it's right. bulk bulk material. Um, but we also the city of Austin, and I, I wish I could throw the numbers at you, but the city of Austin, if you have a certain occupancy size, that you have to participate in a, a recycling and composting program as part of their zero waste initiative that right. they're that they're doing. So, right. yeah, um, like the 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 W Hotel is a customer of ours. Um, the Cedar Park Center is one of ours. You know, it's it, at a certain size, these municipalities require that the that they they participate in some sort of composting. And it's not all with us. There's we have competitors that they, there's some options out there for them. Right, right. And then as far as the garden waste, that's coming from this curbside pickup. 
All, uh, a portion of it is. A lot of it just comes from landscapers. You know, they've, they uh-huh. have a day where they're pruning, you know, vitex or if they're pruning right. crepe myrtles or, if, you know, an oak tree blew over in the storm. We, they load up in a trailer and bring it here. Okay. Um, so, like, right now we've got a line of customers out there because we just recently had storms and high winds. So right. we see peaks when it comes in like right. that. But, right. yeah, bulk of our, by weight, a bulk of our trash is, is brush. Um, I say I say trash, but the material we divert is brush. Right. So, is some of that leaves that people will bag up? And... It really depends on the time of year. So, okay. yeah, we just went through a big wave right. of oak leaves, right. and the in the fall we'll go through a big wave wave of uh, elm and the other early deciduous trees. Uh, and then lawn lawn clippings start pouring in here right about now too because we're getting rain and warm weather. Right. Um, but yeah, right. it 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 kind of it ebbs and flows with the the pr- proportion of whether it's kind of the greener or the browner material but for the most part it's because there's so many trees here it's mainly brown material. I'm here today with Zach Halfin who's production manager at Texas Organic Products and uh, we were just talking about the materials that go into making compost that we find at Gardenville and um, I had a question about uh, you were talking about all the different sources from from where you get the raw materials but what I'm wondering is how do you keep um, how, how do you maintain the right mix throughout the year since at different times of the year you're getting different types of materials? That's an excellent question. Um, I would say that, that composting, the process itself, has a, a very wide range of acceptability. So one ingredient can be as far off as, a, as 50% as it was on the last batch. And by the time you're done, as long as you're managing the temperature and the moisture um, the oxygen, all that stuff. You make sure that it's getting enough air. You end up with a compost that's within an acceptable range at the end of it. Um, I think a lot of people, when they're learning how to compost, kind of overthink it. They're like, "Oh, I got to. I need to weigh my leaves, and I need to weigh <laughs> my food scraps, and I got to get this perfect C to N ratio um, right. on the full moon." And you know, like it's <laughs> it's really just um, it wants to it, compost happens on its own. Um, and so our, our job is just to make it as, as clean and as odor free and as reliable and predictable as we can. But yeah, I haven't, uh, we, we have a highly consistent product at this point. Um, so it's working out pretty well. So it's working. Um, let's, uh, if we can do some numbers. So how much compost do you produce in, I don't know, a month, a year? So we, we, we produce it, uh, our initial compost build is about 350 cubic yards. We screen out about 150 of that by the time it's, so when it settles down, it'll go from 350 to by the time it's done composting, it's only 200 yards by volume. It's still a lot of the same material, just become right. decomposed in smaller pieces, so it's denser. Um, so that's we, one. That's the production that's one, for wind, one windrow. One windrow okay. one week, and then we'll screen out about 150 yards of compost, right. and that's pretty consistent. Um, things slow down for holidays. People don't do as much yard work. People right. don't. They have a lot more time to waste less food, which is weird. Um, but it, we we see we see some, you know, slow points middle of the summer, especially when the schools are out and mm-hmm. and people aren't doing much gardening. Right. We see it, it slows down a bit, but. Like I said earlier, on average, about 200,000 pounds a day come in, um, far less than that leaves because we do a good job making it decompose. You mentioned earlier about Austin having the zero waste uh, initiative um, to reduce the amount of 
trash and to also reduce uh, emissions. So can you talk uh, a little more depth about how um, collecting all the garden waste and kitchen waste helps reduce uh, greenhouse gases? So they, they say that um, over half of the, the, the material that goes into the landfill can, is organic. So it's either paper or food um, or yard waste like we've described. Um, so that's just that. That's a huge number by itself. Now getting people to sort that, that's, that's I think, the bigger issue behind it all. Um, that's where our real uphill battle is, is, is to get those numbers to the, to the what they're looking for is, quote, zero waste initiative. We're going to have to have a, an entire city that has that as mm -hmm. its um, – it's the way that it approaches their 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 wastes. Um, so you're talking about individual homeowners that have to separate out the mm -hmm, yeah, food waste definitely. and bag it. And yeah. So once we once we get people to do that, this will be easy. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, right. teaching people how to recycle and teaching people how to compost is going to be a, a, a long term right. process for the city and for all the the people that do the composting and recycling right. in our area. There you have it, composting A to Z on a very large scale. My thanks to Zach Halfin at Texas Organic Products. You know, I'd love to hear from you, so please send any comments or suggestions for future shows to me at gardentoad at vcs.com. That's gardentoad, one word, at v-c-y-e-s dot com. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth. Mm -hmm.